Hello, friends. Alan Kirshner here from Eschatos Ministries. Since we went live with Bible Prophecy Daily, we have delivered a program every weekday to listeners. With a premillennial, pre-wrath, rapture focus, our Bible teachers are the best at helping Christians understand and prepare for Christ's return. Would you prayerfully consider your regular support of this ministry? You can easily do so by clicking the support button in the corner of the podcast website at BibleProphecyDaily.com. Thank you. You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. This is Bible teacher Nelson Walters, and the Bible describes the resurrection and rapture in terms of a Hebrew harvest. To Christians, there's really nothing more important than these two events that are going to reunite us with our Lord Jesus. John the Baptist, Apostle John, Paul, and Jesus all describe the resurrection and rapture as if it were harvest. So do you know how this is? Jesus is said to hold a sickle and a winnowing fork. Do you know what they are and why he holds them? Do you know what takes place in a harvest and when the different harvests happened? Here's a really big question. There were three major harvests in Israel, the barley, wheat, and grapes. Which one will you be in? It's not like we're fruit of a loom, guys, but we're either barley, wheat, or grapes, at least metaphorically. And because churches today have forgotten what the harvest metaphors were really all about, it spawned all kind of arguments about the rapture and resurrection in our churches. So misteaching today, we're going to answer those questions because what if we don't understand these things that make the rapture and resurrection like a harvest? What happens then? Let me tell you a harvest story. There was once a spider who lived in a cornfield. One day, the spider caught a little bug in his web, and just as the spider was about to eat him, the bug says, wait, if you let me go, I will tell you something important that will save your life. The spider paused for a moment and listened. You better get out of this cornfield, the little bug said. The harvest is coming. Spider smiled and said, what's this harvest you're talking about? I think you're just telling me a story, but the little bug said, oh no, it's true. The owner of this field is coming to harvest it soon. I heard him tell his workers, all the stocks will be knocked down and the corn will be gathered in. You will be killed by the giant machines if you stay here. Spider said, I don't believe in harvests and giant machines that knock down corn stocks. Why would the owner knock down these beautiful corn stocks to get the corn? said the bug. That's the purpose of the field. The spider considered it, but did nothing. The next day was a beautiful sunny day in the cornfield. As the spider was about to take a nap, he noticed some thick, dusty clouds moving toward him, and he could hear the roar of a giant engine. And the last thing he said to himself was, I wonder what that could be. And so many Christian churches are just like that, not understanding fully what the harvest analogy teaches us, that reapers are coming, and that God values his crop more than he values the stocks or cities that we live in. That's why there are so many arguments about this topic. If there is a rapture, 
when the rapture happens, etc. And what these Christians don't know may hurt them. And for the idea for this teaching, we need to give a shout out to Carlos Perla Hernandez from Spain. Thank you, Carlos. And if you're new to this channel, we're a community of 400,000 unique folks just like Carlos who watch every quarter. If you have an idea for something you'd like to see us explore, let us know. Now, the first teacher in the New Testament was John the Baptist before Jesus even came to be baptized by John. The Baptist gave this teaching about the coming Messiah. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. Luke 3, 17-18. So this was the first good news or gospel that the people waiting for the Messiah heard, and it was a harvest message. Jesus described the coming of his kingdom as a separation of the wheat from the tares. Another harvest analogy. In Revelation, John sees a vision of the rapture as Jesus is sitting on a cloud. And seated on the cloud was one like the Son of Man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. Revelation 14, 14 through 15. Again, it's a harvest metaphor. And it's even called a harvest. God had Solomon build his temple in Jerusalem on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, after all. Harvests are everywhere in the Bible. But there are a lot of terms here that many may not recognize, like what's a winnowing fork, what's reaping, what's threshing. We aren't first century Christians who did these things for a living out in the fields and got it instantly. They understood based on their experience, but we 21st century Christians might need it explained to us. The first thing every one of us needs to know is that the harvest wasn't a one-time event. Most Christians consider that the rapture will occur all at once. They think that when the Lord Jesus comes back, all of the real believers will be taken suddenly from the earth into the air at the same time. This concept fully neglects the principles of the harvest. The principle of the harvest is that fruit is harvested as it becomes ripe. Some of the crop ripens first, and it's reaped. As the first fruits, this is a small minority. Then comes the main harvest, where the majority of the crop is taken. Finally comes the reaping of the gleanings, or the remainder that takes longer to ripen. These are at least three different stages of harvest. The Apostle Paul explained this in 1 Corinthians 15, 22-24. As for in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. So Jesus and the Old Testament saints Resurrected with him in Matthew 27, 52-53, were the first fruits. The main harvest will be on the return of Jesus. And then, 
there's a gleaning harvest for the fruit that ripens slower. Later, at the end of the millennial kingdom. Each of these three main resurrection and rapture events may be subdivided into parts as well. We aren't given complete information in the Bible. But at the main resurrection and rapture, it's depicted in Revelation 14 and we see the 144,000 who come to faith after the sixth seal and the appearance of Jesus in the sky, they're called first fruits there in Revelation 14, which describes the main resurrection and rapture a little later in the chapter in Revelation 14, 14 through 15 that we just read before. We see the main portion of the harvest take place then. So this partially explains Jesus' teaching that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So the last saved on the day of the Lord, when the rapture happens, were the 144,000, as we see after the sixth seal in Revelation 7, 1 through 8. And they are the first raptured when those who were saved for quite a while seemed to be raptured later. Because the 144,000 are called first fruits, the first part of the rapture. Now, this passage in Revelation 14 also speaks of reaping. So what's this term reaping? It's the first part of a harvest process. It means to cut or to harvest a crop from a field or track of land. And this is God's payoff, so to speak, from the crop. Well, who does this reaping? In the parable of the wheat and the tares, we're told this directly. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Matthew 13, 39. So this answers all of those who think Jesus raptures all by himself without angels. Of course, he could, but it appears from the Bible that he doesn't, that he delegates it to the angels. And this passage explains that that idea of just Jesus doing the rapture isn't so. God sends his angels as his agents to do it, as we see in Matthew 24, 31. This passage also explains one of the divisions that happen in the rapture that these angels perform. Let them both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. The weeds referred to here are called tares in many other translations. They are the weeds that look just like the wheat. The official name for this plant is Zanzania or Darnell weed, which is actually a poisonous plant. These represent fake Christians that Satan has sown into the church. The Romans actually had a law against sowing this type of plant in the field of your enemy. So the example that Jesus is giving here was probably a real thing that happened all the time. Somebody would come and sow this Darnell weed into a person's field. Now, the meaning of the parable is that these tares look just like Christians, but develop no fruit and are poisonous to the real Christians around them. And as we see, they are bound or restrained immediately before the rapture, where the righteous are gathered into Jesus's barn or into heaven. They aren't burned at that point. They are simply bound at that point to be burned later. That's a very important aspect of this parable that so many get wrong. After the grain is taken into the barn, then the field would be burned 
so the tares would not reproduce and contaminate it again the next year. Now, there are two places we might see this happening in the scriptures, this binding of the tares. The most likely is in Revelation 6, 15 through 17, where the unrighteous hide from Jesus in the rocks, caves, and bunkers of the earth upon his return. The righteous, however, will be lifting up their eyes and seeing their Savior coming on the clouds. Now, second place might be the sheep and goat judgment. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, they're the angels, they're in this passage, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Matthew 25, 31 through 33. So this division happens upon Jesus' return, and the goats are sent into eternal fire and burned. So a number of similarities exist there in both of these accounts. What happens in a wheat harvest after this reaping, after the cutting of the crop? The wheat is threshed and divided into straw and grain. In the first century, the wheat was placed on a flat surface, the threshing floor, and a pitchfork or winnowing fork was used to throw it into the air to separate the outer shell or chaff from the wheat or grain itself. On a windy day, the lighter chaff would be blown away. The winnowing or throwing of the grain into the air is allegorically the rapture. The church or Christians are thrown into the air and they're cleaned by the wind of the Holy Spirit and the corruptible turns incorruptible in the twinkling of an eye. They then ascend into heaven for a one-year, ten-day period, as we've discussed in this channel many times, and then return with the Lord at Armageddon. That's the grain returning to the ground. Okay, now what about the barley, wheat, and grapes? I'm sure you've been waiting to hear about that. In national Israel, barley is harvested around Passover in the springtime. Wheat is harvested around Pentecost 50 or so days later, and the grapes are harvested and thrown into the wine press around the Feast of Tabernacles. These also happen to be the three pilgrim feasts to Jerusalem, by the way. Now, the timing of the harvest gives us our hints as to which one is whom. Barley are the Jews and the Old Testament saints who were resurrected with Jesus at the first fruits resurrection, appropriately on the feast that the Lord calls first fruits, the feast of first fruits. They were the first ripe crop. Interestingly, even in the end times, the 144,000 from the 12 tribes are Israelites, and they're also called first fruits. So they are barley and are raptured on the day of the Lord first. They are the first to be raptured, last saved, first raptured. Wheat are the Gentile nations who come to faith in Jesus. On the Feast of Pentecost, 3,000 from many nations came to faith in Jesus. Now, the shell or chaff of wheat is a little tougher to remove than the barley. So Romans used a tool called vitribulum. Sounds a little like tribulation, doesn't it? Hmm. Which was a stick with a metal edge which was dragged over the wheat to loosen the chaff and then the wheat was winnowed into the air, just like barley. Does this mean the wheat must go through tribulation? <laughs> Sounds like it, doesn't it? The grapes are the unbelievers who Jesus throws into the winepress of the Lord Almighty 
upon Jesus's return. In Isaiah 63, 3, we read Jesus stains his garments. I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their life blood splattered on my garments and stained my apparel. So in answer to our leading question, most listening to this teaching are probably wheat. Some might be grapes. I certainly pray not, but some might be, and a few could be barley. But if you are a Gentile, Christian, believer, you're probably wheat. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. 